Welcome to Manic Classics, where the ancient world is way more than just the Latin declensions you kind of memorized in high school. Get ready to learn about the weird stuff no one ever thought to tell you about ancient Greece and Rome. I just want to give a brief content warning. There will be mention of racism, sexism, and police brutality. Hi, everyone. So I feel like I need to address what's going on in the world right now. I can't just in good conscience sit back and release whatever episode on Roman graffiti I was going to do. Um, I usually would have had it done by now too, but I've just been struggling so much to find inspiration within it. But I think that talking about the Black Lives Matter movement will really just put me at peace, especially just being a black person, um, in doing this kind of podcast, I can't just ignore what's going on, you know? Like, I can't say that this is for accessibility and that this is for... to do some good in the world and to prove that classics isn't just for white people and not talk about what's going on to black people, you know? Murder, not even just police brutality at this point, just straight-up murder, Um, so I'm going to be talking about my experiences as a black person in classics, and I'm going to talk about what we can do as a field. I'm not really sure how much impact me talking about my experiences in classics can really have, but I figure that if it affects at least one person, I did what I wanted to do with this podcast. So that's that's important to me. I started out my classics journey in, I'd like to say, the first grade. I was really interested in Egyptian mythology. And I did a lot of research on it. I was in the Gifted and Talented program. Uh, so I was able to do some research projects on that, some guided research projects on that. But, you know, once I kind of made it to the end of my teacher's line, she was like, maybe we should move on to something that there's more information on, like Roman or Greek mythology. So there was already this kind of push to to get me towards uh, a more Western, not even more Western, but a more... Um, Mediterranean focus. That's also not what I mean. I I think what I'm trying to say is a more Greco-Roman focus, just to focus on what she perceived to be more academically accessible. Um, And, you know, I got myself started on that, and I was very interested in it. I loved mythology. I read all the Magic Treehouse books. I feel like that's not usually people's entrance into classics. It's Percy Jackson, but I read uh, I read the Magic Treehouse books, and I tried to read Edith, Edith Hamilton's mythology book, but obviously I was in the first grade, so it was a little bit above my pay grade. Um, and I kind of dropped it for a while until uh, I went to private school in the seventh grade, Uh, and they required Latin as a language, and I thought that was so stupid. I did not want to take Latin at all. I thought it would be pointless, Um, and I got out of it by saying that I was fluent in Spanish, so I could just take Spanish and continue my education in that, and 
so I avoided Latin for yet another year. And then I went back to public school uh, for high school, and they found out that I was fluent in Spanish, and they were like, you don't need more of this language. We're putting you in Latin. And so my language journey began, and I went to public school in Connecticut, and there were no black people in my Latin class. Obviously, there were barely any black people at my school. Um, I think it was me and maybe two other kids. And it wasn't a necessarily oppressive situation, but it wasn't very encouraging either to not see anyone who, you know, looked like me engaging in this field. And one of the most impactful memories I have of high school was when Michael Brown was killed and the cop was acquitted. Um, and, you know, I was very, very upset. That was the first time that I felt like something really affected me. I had been so desensitized to it before, but this one and the creation of the Black Lives Matter movement really just hit me very hard at that point when I was coming into, and when I was like finally coming into like political consciousness and developing my own identity as a black person. Um, and I just remember talking about it with all of my friends, my supposed friends, and they were so clueless. They didn't understand why it mattered so much to me. They didn't think it was that big of a deal. They didn't feel as upset about it. And that's really what, I don't want to say radicalized me. I don't, I don't think that it necessarily radicalized me, but it, it made me hate white people. Like it just made me very angry that they could see someone be brutalized and murdered in cold blood and not feel anything. And I went to my Latin class that day fully expecting for my teacher to ignore it, but she brought it up. And she said that this was like a horrible act and, and it was, it, she didn't even do anything revolutionary. It just was the fact that she brought it up that made me feel like she cared about me and that she cared about things that I would go through. Um, and I feel like the white people in my town had this kind of feeling that it would never happen where we are because we don't even have police in our town. We don't have like a big police presence, but it did happen in our town and it happened to me. And I mean, I was, you know, a little 10th grader walking to the elementary school, taking a shortcut, um, for Girl Scouts, wearing my full uniform, uh, with my backpack clearly not doing anything wrong, just taking a shortcut. And a police officer came up and, like, with his hand on his gun, started questioning me, like, where are you going? You're not supposed to be here. Um, you can't be at the elementary school. And I had to, like, very calmly explain, like, I'm a Girl Scout. I'm mentoring Girl Scout, younger Girl Scouts at the elementary school. Um, do you need anything? <laughs> like, I did not know what to do. It was so scary. And so for my peers, my white peers, to kind of have this feeling that something like that would never happen and for that to happen to me just blew me away, you know? 
So all these experiences in ninth grade got me very interested in activism and in social justice, and I didn't know where to begin, and I didn't know what to do, you know? I felt very limited to kind of social media activism, because at that point, nobody was posting on their social media, at least in my town, or at least from the people that I followed on social media. They weren't saying things about what was going on in the world. Um, And maybe that's because we were 15. Maybe that's because, I don't know, they didn't know what was happening in the world. But I started out that way, posting on my social medias, like, different um, graphics about how to be anti-racist, how to be a feminist, stuff like that. And I think students thought I was very annoying, which I was, and I think that was the point. But I finally kind of got into my activist uh, mode when I went to social justice camp at Oberlin. I don't think it was actually called social justice camp. It was called like the history of movements. And we learned all about um, different social justice movements and how they were created and how they were structured. But actually, we learned nothing because the program director turned out to be racist on like the second week of the camp and all the classes were canceled and everyone was just crying all the time, which is the most social justice thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, if anything, like symbolizes radical feminism it's it's that (laughs) and so that kind of turned me off from from activism for a while I didn't want to be associated with with things that just fell apart so easily and I I didn't know what to do from that point and then I kind of just once Trump became president And everyone started collectively going to protests and I don't know, it was a very annoying process for me to watch my white peers able to come into their own political consciousness like four years later than I did and watching them have the, the privilege to go to these protests and have the privilege to not need to know about what's going on in the world. The first time I kind of connected the idea of social justice with my love for classics was with my senior year internship at the Paideia Institute. I now realize that that's very ironic and problematic, but that's what I did. I worked with them on the ICORA program, uh, and I helped them to translate their curriculum into Spanish. Um, And I, I kind of had this vision of making classics more inclusive, making classics more diverse through giving access. Um, And I think that that definitely needs to start at a younger age because once you're exposed to something earlier on, at least in my own experience, it felt like you could develop the interest over time and eventually, you know, now I'm a classics major, I imagine that some of those kids, after being exposed to classics, would be interested in doing that as well. But of course, I never would have known that that was an option had I not 
been interested in mythology from a young age and had access to Latin and Greek in high school. So by the time I got to college, I knew that I was going to be a classics major, but I kind of felt that things would be a lot different in college, which was not the case. I mean, of course, I had black friends at this point, which wasn't possible at my high school before because there were no black people. Um, And, you know, I was surrounded by black excellence, but I didn't see that within the classics department. I was the only black person. I am the only black person, to my knowledge, in the classics department. Um, The department's pretty small. I feel like I'd know at this point if there were any other black people. Um, But I worked on making myself very visible within the department in order to prove that, yes, like, I belong here. Yes, I deserve to be here. And yes, I made it here on my own merits. But that turned out to not be enough for me. I needed to be doing something in order to feel like I was making the problem better. Like I was just putting good into the world. And so I worked to bring Ikora to Holy Cross. And this was before it was problematic. So please don't, (laughs) please don't give me any shit for that. But um, we brought uh, Liz Butterworth, who's no longer associated with the Paideia Institute, and she came to give a talk about Ikora. And, you know, my freshman year, my first year at Holy Cross, most of it was spent trying to develop a relationship with the public schools in Worcester and going to meetings with the grants office, going to meetings with the superintendent's office. And I did all of that work mostly on my own. I had the help of another student. Um, but professors weren't really interested in doing anything. I felt very unsupported. I think that it's really easy to say that you want your department to be diverse, but it's much more difficult to actually put in the work for it to be diverse. And, you know, I gave very specific and very pointed examples of, uh, barriers to becoming a classics major, to being a classics major for people of color, for black people, for, for lower socioeconomic statuses. But, you know, I did not feel that energy coming through the energy to actually put any solutions into practice. And so I experienced burnout. I burned out hard my sophomore year. I had done so much and put in so much work over the summer and during the school year that I just did not want to do it anymore. I felt unappreciated and I felt like no one wanted me there. Nobody wanted the work that I had done. So I stepped out. I didn't do half as many of the clubs that I was in my sophomore year within the classics department. I wasn't as involved anymore. I wasn't as passionate. I was withdrawn from my classes. I was just disenchanted and disenfranchised, honestly, from the classics department. And so because of this racism and because of this deliberate exclusion, I felt I didn't get as much out of my education as I wish I had. I feel like I wasted my time sophomore year staying away from the department, being withdrawn from my classes, and that's the price of racism. 
your students aren't as engaged, your students who, you know, once you even get a student of color, they're, they're not going to feel appreciated. And I think that there's a lot of things that can be done about that. Um, and they're not being done. So, so my junior year, I kind of got back on the horse. I was back on my accessibility bullshit, so to say. Um, and I brought back up this Ikora program that I had tried to start my freshman year and I brought it up in a bigger way. There was this fellowship at Holy Cross called the Fenwick that I wanted to apply for in order to do research on the effects of uh, the effects of classics on students' reading motivations and how classics could be beneficial, could not be beneficial. It could how, you know, it just interacts with students' minds. And it was a very quantitative way of getting information about how students interact with classics. And I, that was really important to me to figure out in numbers, like, is this helping students? Is this actually doing something for people? I'm going to read an excerpt from my Fenwick proposal to show you guys what I said and what was important to me in doing this project. Not only would this research forge a strong relationship between the classics department and Worcester, but with my study made publicly available on Crossworks, this research has the potential to change how the field of classics thinks about its problems of diversity. The field of classics is currently at a turning point, and Holy Cross is in a position to be at the forefront. The community-based learning program that Professor Machado and I helped to bring to the Worcester Public Schools is a powerful first step in fighting against the exclusion of marginalized students entering the field of classics. Holy Cross also has the opportunity to attract the most talented scholars in a way that other schools cannot. We offer three merit full scholarships for classics, the Bean and Fitzgerald. Why then are we still not able to attract marginalized students to our classics department? These scholarships are aimed at students who have demonstrated interest and aptitude in either Latin or Greek. However, a vast majority of marginalized students do not have access to these languages. Introducing students to classics at the elementary grade level creates a pipeline of interest in classics that has not yet been realized. My own experiences in marginalized communities and as a scholar of classics have prepared me to undertake the task of actuating a solution to the lack of diversity within classics. Being underrepresented in my field has created the feeling of exclusion, a problem that many people have failed to see fully. Often, when talking about why there is a lack of diversity within our field, we put the responsibility on students. Why do marginalized students not find classics worth studying? Instead, we should be asking the question, how do we give marginalized students access to classics? This question, guided by my own personal experiences and pushed forward by the needs of our communities, have driven the need for this project. My Fenwick project will allow me to begin questioning and providing a solution for the lack of access to classics. This project creates a pipeline that will hopefully lead to more marginalized students like me majoring in classics at Holy Cross and receiving the Bean and Fitzgerald scholarships. In my humble opinion, it's projects like these that make classics worth studying. There is no point in studying old dead white people for the sake of studying old dead white people. I think that it becomes interesting because of how we interact with those people now and how we interact with those ideas now. 
We've had our heads so far up our asses for the longest time that we forgot what is actually important and what's actually interesting about the study of classics. Classics is interesting because of its relation to thinking about the human condition and, or at least it is for me, I don't know about y'all, but uh, I think that we've lost sight of that. And I think that the human condition has become the white condition and projects like these and projects like the Sportula and projects like Dr. Kelly Dugan's um, thinking about slavery and how we represent slavery and anti-racism work within classics really push forward the field in a way that I haven't seen in other fields. And maybe that's because other fields don't have to do that work like we do. But beginning to examine our own biases and why we find classics interesting and not something else like African studies or East Asian studies or anything, you know, why do we find classics interesting versus the study of literally any other culture or society? And that's the question that I struggle most with. Why did I choose Greek and Roman culture to study and I still don't have an answer and I don't think I ever will have an answer I mean I guess you could theoretically go back to when I was in the first grade and say you studied Greek and Roman history and culture and language because you were pushed towards that instead of what you originally were interested in Egyptian but I mean it's been my choice now to stay with Greek and Roman history so what do I have to say for myself? Absolutely fucking nothing. I don't know. I feel like it's weird to say that if your scholarship isn't rooted in some sort of activism, you're doing it wrong. But it is kind of reasonable to say that if your scholarship isn't rooted in something that's real, then something's wrong. Like, you can talk about clocks all you freaking want, but what's the point? What is the point? You know, sundials are cool, but what's the point? And it really frustrates me that a lot of this work is being done by black and brown people. If we have white allies, real white allies, I think that this work would go a lot faster and people would have a lot less reason to complain. And like, obviously thinking about Black Lives Matter and kind of applying it to an academic space is not the most important thing right now, the most important thing is to be anti-racist and to protest against this horrific pandemic. I don't even want to call it a pandemic because that excuses it as a disease and racism is not a disease. It's deliberate. You don't accidentally be racist. Um, this This whole situation of murdering of black bodies and just violence against and generally being okay with violence against black bodies, we need to focus on that, of course. But just as we are able to focus on both feminism and anti-racism at the same time, I think we're able to focus on racism in the real world and racism in academia at the same time. And I think 
fixing or trying to fix racism in academia can have real world effects. And once we start making our academia make sense and accessible and relatable, I think that'll have real world effects. I feel like I should have a call to action here, but I don't. I mean, maybe do what I did. I started an inclusion committee in the classics department at Holy Cross, where we have a lot of different initiatives. The first one that we actually completed and is available is our resource website. We have a guide to using dictionaries. We have a guide to using lexica. We have a guide to how to use Perseus. We have all these different resources listed, um, free texts that are available, how to use our libraries and our workrooms, how to request different things from the department. And that is a way to make all of those resources accessible for students who might not know they exist. I mean, I had a conversation as an RA with one of my residents who was like, I was, I was like, oh, oh, you should just use Perseus. She was like, what's Perseus? I was like, what? How have you survived this entire major without Perseus? I probably shouldn't be using Perseus, but I do. I will admit it. I need a dictionary. I need a lexicon, whatever. Um, but yeah, start an inclusion committee, do what you can and take suggestions and take your students seriously. If they say that there's a problem, inspect that problem, examine that problem and work with them on that problem because you can't do it without them. And lastly, put your money where your mouth is. If you want to support Black Lives Matter right now, you can donate to their fund. You can donate to the North Star Health Collective, which are medics. You can donate to Black Visions Collective, and you can donate to Reclaim the Block. You can also donate to the Sportula, which are micro-grants for classic students for any reason. The Sportula has helped me countless times. Um, well, they're not countless. I've used it twice. Um, I was broke as fuck and my I lost my job last year um and I was homeless for a time so they helped me out and you know I couldn't have done that if it didn't exist obviously so if your students don't feel comfortable coming to you make sure they have the resource to go somewhere else I know this episode probably isn't what you were expecting from a classics podcast, but I felt like it was very important to talk about what was going on right now and talk about why scholarship being accessible and talk about scholarship being down to earth and real, rooted in something real um, and rooted in activism is something that we need. Um, And yeah, I mean, I talked about my experiences rooting my scholarship in, in activism and in my own identity, and I hope that you will do something with that, with hearing that. Thanks for tuning in to Manic Classics. For more updates and conversation about the ancient world, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Manic underscore Classics and on Instagram at Manic underscore Classics. Thanks for listening. I'm Maya, and that was Manic Classics. Hope to see you next week.